Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, after all the fireworks displays and 4th of July cookouts, a closer look at the meaning and significance of the Declaration of Independence, America's original founding document, which often gets overshadowed by the Constitution. Also this morning, Missing, a dramatic and very personal story from author Kenneth Evans about the meaning of American service and sacrifice. And happening around town, the Flag City Daylily Tour is back, bigger and more beautiful than ever for 2021. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. Every day is a reason to celebrate. I know it's back into the... Uh, grind of things after the long holiday weekend. You think the holiday is behind us, but there is always a reason to celebrate. And today is International Kissing Day. Although you have to be very, very careful about how you <laughs> celebrate that. You can't just go up to anyone and kiss them on a day like today, even though it is International Kissing Day. I'm not sure <laughs> that if someone objects that will be enough to get you off the hook. But nonetheless, it is International Kissing Day, National Air Traffic Control Day. Now, think about it. Where would we be without air traffic control? So big salute to all of those who keep us safe in the skies. National Fried Chicken Day today. And it is virtually hug a virtual assistant day today. <laughs> so... Hug, uh, hug Siri, hug Alexa, hug reasons to celebrate today. Did you happen to see the viral video? Well, I don't know if it was viral. I saw it uh, yesterday and I told my wife, it's just a jaw dropping video. And I showed it to my wife yesterday and it just, my jaw dropped when I saw this in Toledo over the weekend. And apparently it was very busy in Toledo over the weekend. They had the uh, big block party that turned into the shootout at the OK Corral. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. The other event in uh, Toledo over the weekend, apparently uh, some folks in one neighborhood were setting off fireworks when an entire truckload of fireworks somehow suddenly ignited and it was just jaw-dropping. This this goes on for like, it was a big box truck. It was a U-Haul truck, actually, that someone had filled up with fireworks and somehow it went off in the middle of this fireworks display, uh, illegal fireworks display, obviously, and the... Uh, the whole truckload went up, and it was just amazing. I don't even know how to describe this video. It goes on for like five minutes, uh, all of the fireworks exploding. It was just uh, just amazing that somebody's not getting their deposit back. Just uh, another example of why uh, do-it-yourself fireworks is not a good idea. Of course, the tragic story over the weekend, the Columbus Blue Jackets goalie, that uh, was killed in a fireworks accident in Maryland. They had a, an incident at a professional fireworks setup. They were going to have a big display 4th of July 
I guess it was Saturday night uh, at uh, Ocean what Ocean City, Maryland, I believe it was. They had these uh, fireworks set up on the beach. This is a professional uh, fireworks set up, and something happened. And the middle of the afternoon, everything blew up, and that was a pretty shocking video. Uh, so. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, accidents out there over the 4th. So here's hoping that you and yours had a happy and safe 4th of July weekend. We get our four-day work week started today. Uh, many folks had Monday off for the holiday since, it, since the 4th fell on a Sunday. A lot of folks got Monday off. We were not here yesterday, and a lot of folks have a four-day work week. And this is kind of interesting. Uh, a couple of uh, trials were held in Iceland uh, of a four-day work week as a matter of routine. There are actually two large-scale trials where businesses uh, agreed, businesses and industries agreed to take part in this trial of a four-day week as normal, not just you know because of a holiday. So. Researchers are now saying there is uh, that it was an overwhelming success, and those who participated, which involved some 2,500 workers or one percent of Iceland's population in a variety of workplaces, worked 35 to 36 hours per week with no cut in pay. 35 to 36 hours per week, four days, no cut in pay. In results. Published this week, Iceland's Association for Sustainable Democracy uh, says worker well-being dramatically increased across a range of indicators from perceived stress and burnout to health and work-life balance. At the same time, productivity and service provision remained the same or even improved across the majority of trial workplaces. So long and short of it is this, they found out that workers were happier, less stressed, more productive, working four days a week, 35 to 36 hours, four days a week, as opposed to your typical five-day, 40-hour work week. Um, Dr. Gundmar Haraldsson, a lead researcher on the study, says the Icelandic shorter working week tells us uh, experiment tells us that it is not only possible to work less in modern times, but that progressive change is possible. So take make of that what you will take away from that what you will. But uh, at least in Iceland, according to the research, a four day work week uh, being the norm rather than the exception, the rule rather than the exception is actually they find a good thing. So make of that what you will. This was the a big controversy over the 4th of July weekend. Disneyland and Disney World have finally brought back their nightly fireworks shows, which hadn't until now been restarted when the theme parks reopened from their pandemic shutdowns. But some people, apparently, are unhappy with how they have changed the wording of the pre-recorded announcements that are played before the shows begin. It used to begin with this big voice booming, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The new announcement, however, says, Good evening, dreamers of all ages. 
So gone is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and in its place, they are addressing guests as dreamers of all ages. And the report, supposedly, is that the new greeting reflects Disney's policy changes promoting inclusiveness. And, of course, everybody on the internet got all up in arms of that. Now, this is kind of interesting because I don't know that Disney actually said that that's why they changed the wording. Or whether that was the way it was reported with people assuming that that's why. They changed the the greeting. I don't know that I have read any official announcement from Disney uh, about it, but a lot of folks are upset. Uh, Critics online uh, pointed out, they said Walt Disney himself would never have done that. Others were saying, bring back the old greeting. I hate this. So people all up in arms about this. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a word. It's just a greeting. I, I don't. I don't know. But apparently, this is the uh, latest thing that we need to be outraged about. Did you eat too much over the Fourth of July weekend? All of the uh, cookouts, the barbecues, all of the food. That's the thing. Fireworks and food. Those are the two things. And we spent uh, we spent the day Friday talking a lot about food. Uh, all of the uh, the big food spreads uh, over the uh, weekend. So now maybe you have to think about shedding some of that extra weight that you might have put on. And uh, researchers in New Zealand have developed a device that I this may be taking it to an extreme in trying to lose weight. It is called the Dental Slim Diet Control Device. It actually keeps your mouth shut. It's like a it's like a human muzzle. It keeps your mouth shut allowing a person to only to be able to consume a liquid diet. (laughs) All that you could do, you can't open up your mouth wide enough to put anything into it other than a a straw that you can drink through. It is an intraoral device fitted by a dental professional to the upper and lower back teeth using magnetic devices with unique custom-manufactured locking bolts. I kid you not, this is a real thing. It allows the wearer to open their mouths only about two millimeters, restricting them to a liquid diet, but it allows for free speech and does not restrict breathing. It is. It's like a human muzzle. A trial based in New Zealand claimed that users shed an average of 14 pounds in two weeks and were motivated to continue with their weight loss journey. I would say they would probably be motivated to do anything as long as you promise to take the muzzle off. That that is crazy. I mean, people do do some crazy things to try and lose weight, but that is just insane. I don't know. And a couple of uh, other interesting notes among the first things you need to know to start your day. Have you ever wished that you could own an Oscar? Well, now you don't have to be a Hollywood celebrity to have your own Oscar. TMZ reports a 1949 Academy Award statue is hitting the auction block. This doesn't happen very often. It is apparently the trophy for best special effects for the 1949 film Mighty Joe Young. 
it is able to go up for sale because it is not engraved or personalized. Uh, and it's not engraved because producer Marion C. Cooper accepted the award on behalf of Willis O'Brien. And O'Brien famously turned down uh, his Oscar. He'd already turned one down in 1933 for King Kong because he wanted one for his, his entire crew. And when he won in 1949, he never took his Oscar. He never had it engraved. Um, and so it is a blank Oscar award expected to go for upwards of half a million dollars when it hits the auction block later this month. How about that? That would be so cool. Own an Oscar statue. And it doesn't happen very often that you get the chance. And finally, a sports note. You know, the Summer Olympics are right around the corner in Tokyo. And guess who is going to be part of Team USA? Bruce Springsteen's daughter. 29-year-old Jessica Springsteen, named to the U.S. Olympic show jumping team. Uh, Her events will take place between August 2nd and 7th. She says she fell in love with horses growing up and got her very first pony at the age of six. And now she is an Olympian. Bruce Springsteen's daughter. An Olympian. Kind of cool stuff there. Uh, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories, the first things you need to know to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. A WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Mostly sunny today with a high of 91. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 71. One person died and multiple others were left injured after a shooting during a 4th of July block party in Toledo. Toledo police say the call came in at around 1230 Monday morning about the shooting and people fighting in the area of Lawrence Avenue and Wall Street. A total of 12 people were shot when a brawl broke out. A 17-year-old was life-flighted to a hospital where he died. It was not immediately clear what started that brawl. sound of the finale to the fireworks show at the Hancock County Fairgrounds over the weekend. The fairgrounds was full of people excited for the return of the fireworks show after a year off because of the pandemic. And then on Sunday, the 4th of July parade was held along Main Street in Findlay, and it also got a nice turnout with people lining both sides of the street, waving American flags and catching candy. You can see some video from both the fireworks and the parade on our website. An Ohio congressman is co-sponsoring a bill to reauthorize federal grants for the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Republican Congressman Dave Joyce said the hotline's call volume reached a staggering record high last year. The hotline is operated by the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. Scott Berkowitz, president of the network, said since March 2020, as the pandemic led to stay-at-home orders, the majority of victims receiving help from the online hotline have been minors. He said the reauthorization will help meet the increased demand. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Governor DeWine is thanking Ohio's National Guard troops for their help in distributing food during the COVID-19 pandemic. The governor visited several food banks to express his gratitude in person. Guard members have been helping out with food distribution for nearly a year and a half, helping to feed more than 2.9 million Ohioans. The Marathon Classic is being held this week. The golf tournament is one of the longest-running events on the LPGA Tour. The Marathon Classic was founded in 1984 and has been played yearly in the Toledo suburb of Sylvania. Over the past 36 years, the tournament has raised more than $12 million for nearly 200 children's charities. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
And now to our cover story this morning. It is really the reason we celebrate in the first place, but in the midst of all of the fireworks and 4th of July cookouts, probably don't give a whole lot of thought to the Declaration of Independence. And honestly, it's a even though it's America's original founding document, often gets overshadowed in conversation by the Constitution. So what does the Declaration of Independence really truly mean? Uh, what is its significance for us today? Joining us this morning is Ohio Northern University Professor of Law and Associated Scholar of the Brown University Political Theory Project, Dr. Scott Gerber. Uh, Scott, thanks very much for uh, taking the time uh, this morning. You uh, had a an op-ed in the Washington Examiner uh, over the holiday weekend uh, on this very topic, and uh, you were talking, of course, we all remember our elementary school history classes about the Declaration of Independence and why it's important, but you say this is something that in the larger scope uh, is viewed differently by different scholars. How so? Yeah, correct. Good morning, Chris. Um, yeah, I've written a couple of books and articles and things about the Declaration, and my first book was actually about the relationship between the Declaration and the Constitution. And uh, in order to you know write a decent book, you have to know what other people have said about the topic. Mm-hmm. And so my my op ed is is talking about what four other scholars of of quite uh, great importance have said about it. Uh, Carl Becker, Gary Wills, Pauline Mayer, and Danielle Allen. And my point in the piece was that even though the Declaration claims that the truths that all men are created equal and that we're endowed by our Creator with the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are self-evident, uh, historians have disagreed about what the Declaration actually means. And what is the relationship between, you talk about the relationship between the Declaration and the Constitution, because, uh, again, for most average folks, uh, they think the Declaration is simply uh, our announcement to Great Britain that we uh, declare ourselves our own independent country, which on its face, that's what it was all about. But again, today in the modern day, uh, you, you never hear uh, courts cite the Declaration of Independence as a precedent. They always cite the Constitution. So w- is it still relevant? I mean, what is its relevance uh, today? Well, in my opinion, and this is what my first book uh, is about, uh, the Declaration articulates the objectives, the ends, the goals of our nation. And the Constitution provides the political architecture to uh, achieve those goals. And that was actually Abraham Lincoln's position. Abraham Lincoln uh, was uh, profoundly devoted to the principles of the Declaration of Independence. I thought it was really interesting in the piece in in reading the piece in the Examiner, which by the way we have linked up at our our webpage at GoodMornings.net. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you pointed out that some scholars uh, believe that the Declaration was intentionally simplistic in the way it kind of laid all of this out, as you mentioned, kind of the inspiration for what would become the Constitution later to kind of delve more into the details, and that was. Uh, intentional on the part of the uh, founders and the signers of the Declaration. 
Correct. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, who drafted the Declaration, it got edited a little bit by others, but he wrote it, Mm -hmm. um, uh, said later that he was not intending to articulate anything new. He was simply providing, quote, an, an expression of the American mind. And that expression was that the principal purpose of government is to protect individual rights. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men says the Declaration. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of interesting that it, it, you word it that way in that uh, Jefferson wasn't trying to out necessarily lay out anything new, but on its face, uh, the whole idea of governments uh, of, by, and for the people was kind of a, a new concept at the time. Well, not really, because John Locke and Carl Becker and his classic book in 1922, and that's the first one I mentioned in the Mm -hmm. uh, op-ed, proved, in my opinion, that that, uh, John Locke was the uh, political theorist, the 17th century English political theorist who inspired Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson uh, read, understood, and agreed with Locke on the basic purpose of government being to protect individual rights. And so I I think that um, they, they all believe that. Even Gary Wills, who tried to flip it and said, no, the, the declaration is about promoting virtue at the expense of individual rights. People who uh, criticized Gary Wills said that Wills read it wrong because the Scottish moral theorist, who he claims inspired the declaration, agreed with Locke on the basic purpose of government being to protect individual rights. Hmm. So really, there is a lot more there than maybe what most of us realize with respect to the Declaration of Independence. Yes, it is our statement uh, to the king saying that we are henceforth going to be our own country. We're not going to be British subjects. And of course, that led uh, to the American Revolution. So that is you know, the, the, the basic purpose of it, but it really goes a lot deeper than that. And how would, if the declaration were written or worded differently, how would that change the way the constitution was later written? I mean, how much influence did the former have on the latter? Well, in in my opinion, it had a lot. Uh, My first book, goes through and documents how when the framers were drafting the Constitution in Philadelphia in the summer of 1787, they kept referring back to the Declaration of Independence Hmm. and to the purpose of government being to protect individual rights. Yeah. So really interesting, again, as we mentioned, uh, when we hear about uh, court cases being fought and, and uh, rights and, and so on that come before, uh, particularly the Supreme Court in these cases, the Constitution is often cited and we have that uh, turn of phrase of the constitutionality of law, understandably so, but that doesn't mean that the Declaration is kind of irrelevant in this, so just just the Declaration of Independence. There's a lot more to it uh, than maybe what we realize. Really kind of uh, interesting stuff. And again, uh, definitely something worth thinking about in the aftermath of the uh, 4th of July holiday. As we said, we've got the uh, piece, the op-ed piece, linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Dr. Scott Gerber, again, Ohio Northern University School of Law and uh, the uh, Political Theory Project, Brown University. Dr. Gerber, thanks very much once again. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris.
want to introduce you to the story of an all-American 19-year-old young man with a bright future, student body president, all-state sports hero, and all of that, who's uh, looking forward to marrying his uh, sweetheart and, and beginning his life until fate steps in. When Japan bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States entered World War II, Don goes off to fight for his country and perhaps has dreams of being an all-American hero, a very patriotic thing to do. What he did not expect is to end up in a Nazi POW camp. This is the story told in the new book, Missing, a World War II story of love, friendship, courage, and survival. Ken Evans is the author. And Ken, first of all, this is a, a story that is rooted in actual... Uh, in reality, you used uh, personal letters and journals and such to uh, craft this book, right? Uh, yes, it's unique in a way. Um, I was very fortunate in finding, after my father died, finding over 300 letters that uh, uh, he had written my mother. Um, and we discovered uh, journals, uh, notebooks that he kept meticulous records in uh, when he was in the POW camp, mission reports. And I was able to uh, connect after his death with uh, several of mm-hmm. his uh, flight flight buddies. So this, uh, and so I've got contemporaneous, I got contemporaneous information yeah. to have written this story. So Don in this story is your dad. How much of this did you know uh, before coming across all of this uh, treasure trove of information? Not, not as much as I would have liked. Uh, my, my father, like many in World War II, didn't often speak of, especially of the atrocities that he experienced. Mm-hmm. He did tell stories, uh, some kind of the miraculous glass half full kind of stories that led to his survival. Um, shared some with me on camping and uh, fishing trips when we were in the mountains and whatever. But um, the most of the information that we did, we uncovered was in the memorabilia and the writings that, that I mentioned. What, what was that like for you, uh, again, going into it, thinking that you knew the story, but then ultimately uncovering all of these journals and the letters and learning that there was so much more that you didn't know? I had a number of emotions, uh, and it was very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um I was driven to learn more about both my parents, uh, which I discovered in reading the hundreds of letters and uh, the other information that we found. I found myself wishing many times that I could have asked my my parents yeah. uh, detailed questions that I w- still was unable to answer. Uh, but I'm not sure that they would have really talked much about it. Uh, mm-hmm. That generation kept things pretty close to the vest. So, so were these letters and journals, uh, things that, that he kept? I mean, I, I guess I'm wondering, is this on some level, like you said, many World War II veterans don't, uh, really openly share their stories, although more are starting to now realizing that their days are, are limited. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, many veterans, uh, not just World War II for that matter, but it seems like he, he did save these things knowing that eventually they would probably come to light. So in a sense, he's kind of preserving his story. Exactly. Um, among other things, it's a love story that's uh, set with the Great Depression, growing up under a Great Depression and mm-hmm. World War II uh, as a backdrop. Yeah. Um, 
it, it tell it tells their story. Uh, I I have no idea how many service uh, men back then wrote letters every day uh, describing every way you could invent. I love you, miss you, think about you always, and don't know how I can live without you. Yeah, he, he truly was driven. Uh, to survive by his uh, love and desire to return mm. uh, to my mother. So talk about then taking all of this material and then constructing that into a book uh, for, you know, ev- the general public uh, to read. Because again, you know, sharing that personal story, uh, I, I'm sure was a, was a challenge, but putting it into uh, some sort of narrative uh, in this book uh, was a, a fascinating process. Yeah, great question. Uh, I, uh, I, it took me over ten years uh, mm. to do this. Um, uh, besides the information I mentioned to you, I did uh, uh, countless hours of, of research. Uh, created a World War II library. Um, I reconnected with uh, several of his flyboy friends that were still alive, um, and. It, uh, it it was uh, a long emotional project. I just, initially, I just wanted to preserve his story mm-hmm. and my parents' story for uh, my children and grandchildren and, and maybe some friends and family that knew them. And uh, I was a CPA in another life and had some <laughs> writing clients. Uh, and uh, they I shared a few of the stories with them. And they encouraged me to put it into a book yeah. and that got me started that down that path. And obviously on its face, it is a loving tribute uh, to your dad and your parents. Um, what do you hope that the rest of us take away from this particular personal story? I hope that those that can read the story and ones like it will realize what a great sacrifice uh, this generation uh, made to help preserve the freedoms and and uh, liberties and and general peace that we uh, too often take for granted. Uh, they they truly were an amazing generation. They were willing to fight and die uh, for um, principles, and uh, they somehow were able to unite for the common good. And put their own personal uh, issues and differences, and sacrifice them to work together uh, for a common cause. Uh, it's a great lesson. Since history repeats itself, I think uh, it's an appropriate one that uh, we should learn today and and share with this generation and those to follow. Amen to that. Uh, it is on its face a loving tribute from son to father, but in the larger sense, a tribute from all of us to the greatest generation. Missing a World War II story of love, friendships, courage, and survival. The good news is that, again, obviously, as we say, this is your dad, and uh, so we know that there is a happy ending <laughs> at the at the end of it. So we can so. We can say that uh, he does come home then. Yeah, I, I, I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> Ken, do you have a, a website in conjunction with the book? Uh, I do. Uh, the book's available in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and I have a new audio book uh, that came out. 
Um, it's available anywhere online books are sold and available on Amazon. Uh, probably the easiest way to find it is to Google Missing by Kenneth D. Evans and uh, my website and some newspaper articles and some other things will pop up mm-hmm. along with all the places you can find the book. Ken, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Best of luck with the book. Thank you. My pleasure. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Begin in Boulder County, Colorado, where one hungry bear got quite the treat when he decided to climb through the open window of a home and uh, snack out on the uh, family's cat food. (laughs) Uh, Unexpected human and bear interactions are becoming increasingly common in Colorado. Some experts attribute this increase to their quest for food, which kind of explains why one of the four-legged animals wound up in a residential home. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife explained that the bear came through a window, an open window in the home, devoured the cat food, and then exited the same way it came. (laughs) Didn't rummage around or anything, just came in, helped itself to the cat food, and left. (laughs) A very courteous bear, if nothing else. What's really shocking about this story is that the family was home at the time of the intrusion. Uh, The bear luckily did not run into them, or they didn't run into the bear. No injuries reported in the incident. That is crazy. I don't know how they knew it was a bear. Maybe there was a security camera or something, but maybe there were some telltale signs, but that is crazy. Elsewhere in the broken news, in Stafford County, Virginia, a customer at the local Popeye's restaurant got his feathers ruffled over the longer-than-usual wait time for his chicken sandwich. So it was just taking too long, and so I think he did what any reasonable person would do if they were been forced to wait too long for their chicken sandwich. He smashed a glass door and cursed out the staff. <laughs> Staff at the Popeye's location told sheriff's deputies that the customer was livid after being told he must wait for his chicken sandwich. Customer hurled an expletive at the staff and struck the glass door even after they tried to appease him with chicken tenders instead. Uh, Deputy located the suspect, 38-year-old Yordim Moria, uh, during a traffic stop later. He now faces charges for criminal destruction of property. And I don't know whether he ever did get his chicken sandwich, but (laughs) I don't think they serve chicken sandwiches, Popeye's chicken sandwiches in jail. So speaking of jail, Marcy Schaefer, 43 year old, now former prison guard at the Camille Graham Correctional Institution, was arrested and fired after trying to smuggle prescription stimulant pills into the jail, hidden in a batch of Rice Krispies treats. I don't know. I just, nothing really more to that story than that. Just, you would think that a prison guard would know better. But apparently not, which is why she is now a former prison guard. A mom from Maine was outraged. Speaking of fast food restaurants, a mom from Maine was outraged when she found 
a different kind of treat in her kid's Happy Meal. Shirley Marchesut tells local news reporters she found a an injection needle and four packets of Suboxone, a prescription drug used to treat opioid addiction, <laughs> in her kid's Happy Meal. That is not an approved treat to go in the Happy Meal. I know I get the they get the burger, they get the fries, they get the drink and a treat, and that's usually not the treat. Um, police say they're working with McDonald's to determine the source of the medication. So. <laughs> wow. Check those things. Uh, dumb people doing dumb things. Over the weekend, a man in New Zealand ended up burning down his home while attempting to cook a steak in the toaster. According to news reports, uh, the man's house caught fire when he went to buy fries from a local restaurant where his while his steak was cooking in the toaster. <laughs> the, I mean, I feel bad for the guy. He lost his home. The uh, fire caused severe damage, um, and it ended up the uh, insurance claim is like four hundred thousand dollars, and he says that's not even enough to replace the house and all his belongings. Uh, so I feel bad for the guy, but at the same time, number one, you tried to cook a steak in the toaster and then you left it unattended while you went to the store to get fries. So <laughs> not the brightest <clears throat> one. This is a man who should stay out of the kitchen at all costs. As never go back into the kitchen again. That should be one of the conditions of the insurance payout. Okay, we'll pay to re to uh, rebuild your house, but you have to promise never to go into the kitchen again. And finally, in the broken news, you know how traffic, how crazy traffic uh, was over the weekend. Well, in Volusia County in Florida, they had a uh, rather unusual traffic issue. Last week, it happened Tuesday, June 29th, around 11 p.m., they started getting calls with reports of dozens of white doves flying at cars on Interstate 95, deputies responded along with uh, Volusia County Animal Services and others. They soon discovered the flock of birds were actually a flock of homing pigeons that fell off of a truck. They were <laughs> there's a cage of homing pigeons that fell off a truck on the highway, and the birds escaped. They say that since the birds roost at night, they stayed on the road until bright lights from the vehicle startled them, causing them to fly and create a driving hazard. Uh, it doesn't say how many of the birds tragically didn't make it, but animal services officials say they are now trying to find the owner of the remaining birds. <laughs> that What a crazy story you would have. I mean, it happened at 11 o'clock at night, so I'm assuming there weren't a whole lot of people like going to work. But can you imagine trying to explain that to your boss? I was okay, I, I'm late, but I kid you not, there was a flock of homing pigeons on the highway flying into traffic. It's <laughs> just not something you see every day. There you go. That is uh, today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news. Today's broken news. 
Brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Well, no sooner do we wrap up the 4th of July holiday, but coming up this weekend, maybe an even bigger event. It is the annual Flag City Daylily Tour back. Michael Anders is uh, with us this morning. And uh, Mike, I am told it is bigger and more beautiful than ever for 2021. True? Very true. <laughs> and we can thank Mother Nature for a lot of that. <laughs> so The this- rains that we've had have been fantastic for our garden. Yeah, no question. It's definitely been good uh, this year in, in that regard. Now, the, the if I remember right, you didn't have the Daylily Tour last year, right? No, we did, as a matter oh, of fact. Oh, you did? Okay. Even during the, because uh, with last year, it was simple. People could, you know, tour at their own pace and right. keep their social distance from one another. And oh, cool. uh, it, it worked out fine. We had about... Hmm, 400 or so people that came to the tour last year in the midst of COVID. That's awesome. So expecting an even bigger crowd this year, I would imagine. Give us all of the... I uh, certainly yeah. hope so. Give us all of the uh, details here. Well, the tour is Friday through Sunday of this coming week, which is July 9th, 10th, and 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Findlay, there are seven gardens on the tour. They are all open for people to tour at their own pace from... 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., uh, noon to 6 on Sunday. And uh, there are, as I said, there are seven gardens, and they're located throughout Findlay, and the event is free. That's- so bring your family, bring your friends, you know, get out of the house a little bit. And since there are seven gardens, you might have a hard time getting them all in in one day. So you can uh, spread them out over the three days. Absolutely. And uh, again, because it's free, uh, you can spend, and, and it's self-guided, you can spend as much time as you want at each garden and uh, go through them in whatever order that you like. Exactly. And all seven gardens are quite different. Uh, and before I forget, if anybody has any questions about this, feel free to email me at Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S, at Findlay.edu, or you can call my number, which is 419-889-8827, and I can give you the information and send you a map. We have maps, including a Google map, to all of the the gardens. And the cool thing is they're all within, if you go the farthest, you know, the the farthest north and the farthest south, and you're less than 10 miles. Yeah, so and they're all within Finley. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really easy uh, to uh, get to. Those maps, by the way, um, are are on your Facebook page as well, which we have linked up at GoodMornings.net, Perfect. so you can check out uh, the uh, the maps Perfect. and where the gardens are. You mentioned every single one of them is a little bit different. Is that in terms of the? I guess, for lack of a better term, the theme of the garden. And then I, I would guess the varieties of the daylilies are uh, different because well, there are just literally all, there hundreds are, of 
Yeah, there are over almost a hundred thousand registered daylilies wow. in the world. Wow. And um, I would say that if you go to these seven gardens, you're probably going to see. Oh, I'm guessing probably ten thousand different wow. kinds of daylilies. Wow. And these are not just your ditch lilies that you see along the side of the road. Needless to say, uh, you can have every color of the rainbow. And they're even working on blue, which really doesn't even exist in flowers, really. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to get there. So reds, orange, yellows, pinks, purples, my favorite. Bright, yeah, neon yellows, you name it. And, and designs inside mm-hmm. the flowers, which is huh. a sort of a new thing. Stripes. Wow. So and one of the things, and we've talked about this uh, before, one of the things that makes daylilies unique is that they are relatively easy to... Uh, crossbreed and create these unique varieties. Exactly. They're very simple to, to hybridize. Uh, I don't do any hybridizing because I simply don't have space. But we've got a couple of gardeners who do. And uh, I one in particular, Sharon DeCumman, you can go to her, her farm up on 236. And she literally has thousands of daylilies that she has crossbred herself. Wow. And they're just sort of out in the field. And they're really cool just to walk around. So seven gardens, all uh, different themes, different varieties, obviously, with so many varieties uh, available. And the other thing that, again, we've talked about in the past is that the gardeners are more than happy to help you if you want to uh, plant daylilies. This is the other thing. They they are uh, fairly hardy and and. You know they they're 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 pretty easy to grow in your own backyard garden as well. Well, I tell you a quick story, and, and this is nothing against roses, but when I started <laughs> gardening about fifteen years ago, I said I'm going to grow roses, and I bought twelve rose bushes, planted them. They were beautiful. They were the most beautiful flowers. And the next year, I had two, <laughs> and so. Uh, I got into daylilies, and they're so hardy, they're so easy, they tolerate drought. Uh, but as I said this year, with the with the rains we've had, they're taller, more colorful, bigger flowers, more of them than we've ever seen before. I in my years of gardening, this is the best blooming season we've yeah. ever had. I as as a personal, uh, I can personally attest that they are easy to grow because we have them in our backyard and we can grow nothing, my wife and I. So we, even we can keep the, can keep the daylilies. So, but, but these folks, uh, including yourself on the uh, daylily tour, uh, certainly take that to an entirely new level. Now, as we mentioned, yeah, we're, we're a little obsessive uh, (laughs) because there, they are, you know, in daylilies, as far as cost, you know, you can get free. You come to my place sometimes and I'm handing them out. The neighbors all know this, and but you can spend if you really are into this whole thing, you can spend two or three hundred dollars on a plant. Yeah, I don't have any of those, <laughs> uh, but we've got a couple of gardens in town that do have some of those very high end, expensive daylilies. That's and um, it's going to be fun to everyone see. Everyone is very different. Yeah, and the greatest thing with the daylilies is you know, with people in town say, "Oh, well, I went to that before." Oh, 
Well, I guarantee you, Wait. you come back this year and you will see something entirely different. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. It's new every morning in your daily garden. Exactly. That's you the, can walk through that's every the cool day. Thing. Yeah, that's the the really cool yeah. thing. The uh, Flag City Daily Tour uh, back this weekend. Uh, what are the times again? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, ten to six on Friday and Saturday, noon to six on Sunday, and um, uh, check on Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions, give me a call. Feel free to call me, or and and um, we will get you a map that you can have for your own. And um, please come see us. We yeah. have uh, the spars on our day lily tour. They have the dairy farm out uh, close to the reservoir. We have Rick and Barb Kidwell down south. Um, the perennial plant peddler out east of town, which is always a lovely, lovely spot. McClellan's deadly down south by the University of Finley Horse Farm. Uh, Richard and Robin Hopkins, who live on herd in a, one of the oldest mansions in town, built in 1874. Mm. It's such a cool place just to see the house. Yeah. The garden's like a bonus, but just seeing the house is just amazing. So please come join us. And it is absolutely free. As we said, we've got the uh, link up at our webpage for more information. Mike Anders, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure to talk with you, sir. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. And coming up tomorrow... About 48 million people in the United States are caregivers for a loved one, a responsibility that presents challenges on many fronts. We'll take a closer look. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.